0: I am not an expert. I've never published a book or taught a class. I've never even put anything in a quilt show. But I love quilting, and I love talking about quilting. I make a lot of mistakes, but I like to think that sometimes I learn from them and get just a little bit better. If hearing about someone else's goofs and mess-ups makes you feel better about yours, then I've done my job. Join me as we talk about quilting for the rest of us. Hey, I'm Sandy, and I'm a quilter, and welcome to episode 30, in which we save our stories. I'm recording this on Friday, November 19th, 2010, and I think it might actually be snowing outside. I thought I'd just give you that little setting note so you can orient yourself in time and space. It's the end of the week, it's early evening, and it's cold. So there we go. In fact, I have the space heater running in my office, so you might hear it go on in the background, and if that happens, I will leap across the room and turn it off, because I don't know what it would do to this recording. A couple of months ago, one of our listeners, who is a very, very nice person that I'm so very, very appreciative of, sent me information about the Alliance for American Quilts Save Our Stories project, and then she also proceeded to connect me with someone to talk with when I was in Houston. Unfortunately, as you've heard on a previous episode, I had a major computer meltdown in October, and I lost all of my personal emails including those that had the information for who had originally contacted me, as well as the name of the person I was supposed to talk to in Houston. However, when I got to Houston, I did remember that she had told me there was going to be a Save Our Stories project exhibit there. And so the first morning that we were um, able to, the first morning that I was there, the first full day, uh, I immediately tried to track down the exhibit and found it. It was towards the back of the hall, um, and there were a couple of women sitting at the desk. Because I had made a beeline for the back of the hall, like I said in a previous episode, not too many other people around, which was my plan. I figured I could hit the exhibit when not too many other people were there, and then I wouldn't have to embarrass myself too much in front of crowds. So I walked up to the table, and there were um, two women sitting at the table, and I approached them, and I said, Hey, I'm Sandy. I have a quilt podcast, and one of my listeners um, connected me with somebody. I was supposed to talk to someone from your organization, but unfortunately, I had a computer meltdown. I don't really remember who it was, so I'm here before you hoping that maybe one of you remembers something. And fortunately, um, Amy was sitting right there, and she said, Oh, yeah, that, that rings a bell. I think you were supposed to talk to me. And thus, an interview was born. So in this episode, you're going to hear my conversation with Amy Milne, Executive Director of the Alliance for American Quilts, about their Save Our Stories project. I really, really enjoyed talking with Amy. I had a great time. And I want to say a huge, huge thanks to whichever one of you wonderful listeners it was out there who gave me the information and paved the way for me, even though I managed to somehow trip and stumble all over that paved way. But it still worked. I remembered enough of the information you sent me to be able to make the connection and was had a great time with the conversation. So do please accept my thanks and please let me know who you are. I really want to give you thanks publicly. Um, so, and I'm just really embarrassed that I ended up losing that. In any case, I'm so pleased to bring you my interview with Amy Milne. And I hope that the conversation inspires you to get involved with the project or at very least to document your dang quilts. But I think you've heard me say that before. So we're going to have the interview, and then after the interview, I will do listener comments and some Sandy update because, yay, I actually have a Sandy update this time. Without further ado, my conversation with Amy. Okay, I am sitting here talking with Amy Millen, who is Executive Director of the Alliance for American Quilts, and we are at the International Quilt Festival in Houston. We are in borrowed space, so if you hear other noise in the background of the episode, just forgive me, it'll work. Um, So Amy, tell me first of all, describe the project a little bit for anybody who might not be familiar with it.
1: Sure. Um, Quilters SOS Save Our Stories is an oral history project about quilt makers Um, and it was started here at International Quilt Festival in 1999. Uh, The two uh, founders of Quilts, Inc., Nancy uh, obrien Puentes and Carrie Breschenhan, were two of the founders of the project and really uh, started it by having interviews he- held here at the International Quilt Festival, and I think they uh, did uh, between 30 and 40 interviews that first year. And they were it's it's very much a grassroots project, started as a grassroots project and still is, in that the interviewers are all volunteers, and um, very simply it's. An interview that's about 30 or 40 minutes typically around 45 minutes long and it's centered around a touchstone object that it's chosen by the interviewee and that's typically a quilt that they made although sometimes it has been other objects that they've made or were inspired by or a quilt made by someone else hmm. and so the interviewer uses a set of questions that we call the quadrant questions that are um, some th- a list of questions that they can choose from, but that they have some, you know, they can pick and choose from that list. And they have to do with the quilt that was chosen as the touchstone object for the beginning point, you know. Let's talk about the quilt that you brought here today. So that's how it starts. And it, uh, so you, you um, hear about what that quilt means to them and some sort of specific things about that particular object. And then um, and then other, uh, you move on to other categories of the, uh, you know, other questions, sort of groups of questions within the interview, um, like who taught you to quilt? Mm-hmm. What's your first quilt memory? What do you do? What happens to your quilts when you're done with them? Do you give them to someone? Do you sell them? That kind of thing. And uh, then we talk about, there's some questions about how that person, um, what they think about their quilt making in relationship to their community, do they think that their quilts are inspired by or affected by the community around them, Uh, what does their, how does their quilt making affect their family, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And then there's a section about what, uh, how that person sees quilt making as it relates to the rest of culture and what they think uh, how what they think about the importance of preserving quilt making for future generations so it's kind of like goes from kind of an internal um, questions or object-based questions to internal questions to environmental questions to the bigger picture Hmm. and and so the neat thing about the collection, which is over a thousand interviews now that are transcribed online, so that's the end of the just sort of procedural, procedural part. It's, it's audio taped and then it's transcribed and then the transcription is posted on our website too, so people can read it. But then the um, all the interview materials are archived in the Library of Congress in the American Folklife Center. So having that Permanent committed archive partner is really important part of the project and the importance of the using sort of the same protocol for every interview gives the collection continuity. It gives it more, um, it makes it a really powerful research tool because someone could compare, uh, could go in and search uh, one by one question or sort of a string of text that represents one specific question and, and see how you know, a hundred different people responded to that particular question. Okay. So the collection itself is always growing. So it's not a, you know, it's not a finished project. So it's, um, the, the exhibit we have here is really meant to sort of uh, reintroduce it to the IQF audience because it started here, and a lot of the interviews were done here, 99 through like 2002. But Very few people know about it, Mm -hmm. and uh, we'd like to see more, you know, we'd like to see the collection grow at a quicker rate and get more people, more groups of people involved and and so forth.
0: Do you have any um, criteria for who you want to have interviews from, whose stories you want to hear, or is it pretty much anybody that's willing to talk?
1: No, it's anybody who's willing to talk. It's very much, I mean, I think that there are way more people who've been interviewed who are unknown in the quilt world they might be known in their community, certainly known in their community and to their family, but not necessarily known in the, the uh, you know, they're not a quilt star necessarily. Mm-hmm. But there are quilt stars who are whose interviews are in the collection. But the, um, the uh, there is certainly a list of folks that's a mile long that are people that we would like to interview who are known entities in the quilt world. But as much as we want to see that happen we really want to encourage communities to do the documentation to add to our collection but so that that becomes a, a set of documentation for their guild or their bee or whatever that is so it's
0: interesting when you and I met in your booth just now to get together, finally, <laughs> after several tries, um, a woman was asked if she would like to be interviewed, and her first response is, oh, I don't have a story. Yeah. Uh, what would be your response to hearing somebody say that? Yeah,
1: and I said, yes, you do. Everybody has a story, and the, and the interesting thing to me is that the interviews that, and I certainly haven't read all 1,000-plus of, of the interviews, but the one, some of my favorites are um, people I... Have never met, did not know, you know, hadn't they have no sort of reputation in the quilt world, but um, the things that they've said, or else just the picture that they were able to paint through the way they answered the questions, you know, I can see the room that they quilt in. Mm-hmm. I can see the quilt that they're describing. That's, to me, it's like NPR calls it a driveway moment where you um, stay in your car. To listen to mm-hmm. the end of the story before you go inside. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like those kinds of details, and um, you know that woman that said she doesn't have a quilt story might have the most compelling way of telling her story. That seems like it doesn't have any <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> value, but um, anybody would say that. That's mm-hmm. just uh, modesty. But you no, know, I think that there are a lot of uh, there are a lot of just really life know people that have used one of the questions in the project is how do you use quilting to get quilt making to get through a difficult time in your life and uh that of course yields a lot of really interesting and compelling stories
0: one of the quilts in the exhibit here that i was most struck by was and i should have written down the name of it i took a picture i'm taking pictures of all the um Nameplate, so I remember who did which quilt. Yeah. Um, but there was a, a story about a woman who did a quilt about a little girl crossing the border with her um, younger brother and sister and the sacrifice that the girl went through. Um, and it was a very compelling quilt. And um, I think that was part of that whole, you know, sometimes we think we don't have stories, and sometimes our stories are so connected with someone else's that telling somebody else's story is telling our own mm-hmm. um, why we've talked here about telling stories. Let's go back to the foundational moment. Why was this project begun to begin with? What was the, the sense of importance for doing this kind of a project?
1: Well, I think prior to the QSOS project, there were other quilt documentation projects like the Quilt Index that the Alliance board members and uh, members were uh, working on, hard at work on, and they... Uh, two, uh, one board member who was one of the founders of the QSOS project despi- describes a moment where they were riding home from a board me- meeting on the train, he and another colleague, and they were saying, you know, documenting the quilts is really important, but what if there were a documentary project that uh, filled in the gaps? What would, you know, if this quilt could talk, what would it say? You know, that really fleshed out the story behind it, the quilt maker's intentions, uh, the you know was it a memorial to someone because so many quilts are a response or a gift or a memorial or a comfort you know mm-hmm. it you know they just inherently have stories really even if they're made for as quilt for cover mm-hmm. they um, every bit of material that's if it's a patchwork quilt every bit of material in there had another life you know in that in that case mm-hmm. so I think they just thought this is a way for um, you know a quilt maker to to get out that story but through a very specific filter which is one object one quilt uh, versus asking a quilt maker what's it like to be a quilt maker mm-hmm. you know it, it's sort of having that touchstone object and these were folks who had a lot of oral history experience and had a, had a sense of what kind of protocol we might develop that would Uh, get that kind of a sort of stream of content uh, that would be interesting, that would be useful to researchers, not just because a lot of the people, people that use um, the collection for research, and certainly people just use it for entertainment and for inspiration, but there are a lot of folks in women's history, in art history, in um, in American studies, uh, uh, material culture studies, who use the collection for uh, you know, specific academic goals. Mm-hmm. So.
0: I, I did notice and um, one of the placards for one of the quilts mentioned very specifically uh, a very um, in, intention about diversity to make sure that there was a wide range of um, ethnic groups, racial groups mm-hmm. represented. Can you talk a little bit more about mm-hmm. that? Um, and whether that's presented a challenge or, or mm-hmm. how you've gone about doing that I think
1: there are so many challenges inherent in oral history because there are a lot of uh, groups in the population of the quilt community and in any cross-section of American culture that uh, are not comfortable telling their story for a lot of reasons mm-hmm. you know that they weren't invited to tell their story or that they were you know that it was um, intimidating to tell their story and it's also There are generational things on top of that. That uh, certain generation, you know, the World War uh, One, World War Two generation is not necessarily forthcoming with their story (laughs) because that's just just don't talk about it. You just don't talk about it. So there are a lot of challenges in it. Um, But I think that uh, the diversity of the quilt world mirrors the diversity of the rest of our culture. But A lot of what you see traditionally in, uh, you know, um, in uh, the history of quilting is those that felt comfortable to step forward with their story. Mm -hmm. So you have to make sure that you make it um, a concerted effort to get those stories, but also to make it very uh, to invite others to step forward with their story. So it has to be pretty intentional.
0: And I suspect once you've Gotten some folks to come forward, then it makes it easier for other folks to yeah. also then start. And forward. also,
1: I think you find stereotypes even now in the quilt world, like Geez Ben's quilts represent all African American quilt makers, mm-hmm. and that's completely not right. the case. There's an organization called the Women of Color Quilters Network, uh, run by one of our board members, uh, founded by and run by Carolyn Maslumi, and she, you know, she sort of says that in her interview, you know, and in her uh, mission of that organization that. There are plenty of african-american quilt makers out there doing art quilts that are not improvisational Mm -hmm. that are very intentional and so i think through that through the qsos filter it's a great way for for folks to to uh, see the diverse the true diversity of what's there in the quilt community you know, without having any labeling there, everyone's in the collection. While there are sub-projects, like the Women of Color Quilters Network has a sub-project, and um, there are many different sub-projects based on state. There's a state project for almost every state, and there are thematic ones, like there's the Alzheimer's Forgetting Piece by Piece mm-hmm. um, group. There's the DAR as a um, group, um, the International Quilt Festival has a really large project that we're, you know, keep adding to every year. Mm -hmm. So, you know, while you can sort of see it through those filters too, I think the goal and and that in particular, Karen Musgrave got a grant to try to really focus on going after um, stories that she didn't feel were already represented Mm -hmm. in the project uh, are really important, you know. And also, just there are children in the collection. There are, um, uh, you know, hundred-year-old um, quilt makers in the collection. You know, stories in the collection. There, there's just um, there are a lot more and more men who've been interviewed for the uh, for the project. Mm-hmm.
0: Now, I was able to. Um Listen to the, the way you've got the exhibit set up here, you're able to both read and listen to the stories. And there is a difference between mm-hmm. reading and listening. Um, I felt like I was picking up a theme, and maybe that's simply by the, the quilts that were chosen for this particular mm-hmm. exhibit, but I definitely picked up on a theme of community, it kept coming up mm-hmm. throughout the quilts. Um, as you've listened to, obviously, quite a few more of these than what I was able to experience this morning, have you picked up yourself on certain themes that tend
1: to keep popping up? Yeah, I think that that is a huge thing because um, quilt makers uh, are givers. You know, they're, they're, sh- they're, they're um, always willing to, to share, whether it's teaching, whether it's sort of uh, in moral support and helping, you know, in a guild situation, for example, or a bee. You know, let me show you how to do that. I'm not going to tell you how to do it, but let me show you how to do it and i think that that comes out and then also just the sense of um that um, it's always that you're never too old to learn something new and that you have good company in that and that um, there's a lot of uh, shared sort of aha moments and growth through quilt making you know and there's probably also a
0: few shared, oh, man, what was I thinking <laughs> moments. Yeah. yeah,
1: exactly. And those are my favorite when people talk about, actually, that's my favorite part of the interview when people talk about how. Uh, there is a quilt in the exhibit by Pam Neal from Louisville, Kentucky, and she her quilt is called Scott's Victory Quilt. And it's a quilt for in honor of and for her uh, stepson who was serving in Afghanistan. And she talks about the quilt as both therapy and uh, a way to to share with him her, her not only her gratitude for his service but also the community's gratitude for his service because other people worked on it. And she technically did it in the quilt as you go method so that he could have it sooner. You know, mm-hmm. so she thought she would put it together. And she says in her. Uh, commentary, audio commentary that's in the exhibit that she would not do that again to, you know <laughs> if she ever had a chance because it was so tedious. Mm. But um, you know I kind of like that. Uh, I think as a way to reach out to the quilt making community and let them know about this project, these little audio sort of commentary that really aren't from the interview itself but are sort of about the interview, mm-hmm. but kind of a, a follow- up. Are really neat because it allows people to uh, get an idea of the person's perspective of being interviewed from a distance. Mm-hmm. You know, like, oh, I can't believe I said that. like one of the interviewees says <laughs> two of the interviewees says, oh my gosh, my English was so bad because <laughs> they were you know not English native English right. speakers. Speakers. In fact, I think there are four non-native English speakers in the exhibit. Mm-hmm. So it's also the point about that too was. And I think I was not one of the curators for the exhibit, but I was sort of assisting in the process. And they really wanted to show the diversity of the project, but also that it's not just American quilt makers that are documented. You know, they're, um, they're not huge in number compared to the total number of interviews, but they're a number. In fact, we have one um, interview that's uh, translated in Spanish as well as English on the website. Yeah.
0: I think one of the things you said earlier, a phrase you used was a quilt as a response. And I, my head keeps coming back to that because I think as I read many of the stories, it was they were either responding to a situation in their lives or they were responding to just the fabric or you know something mm-hmm. in their choice. And I, that's a very dynamic way to think about, mm-hmm. I think, quilt making.
1: Okay. Yeah, and I think we're trying to go with that direction in terms of getting people involved in the project. We've got this audio... Follow-up to the project called Chime In for QSOS, and there's we've set up a reporting line, so that after people see the exhibit, they can call in and say, you know, if one of the quilts in the exhibit in particular touched them, uh, tell us about it, mm-hmm. because we realized that um, it's not just um, it's not just the matter of documenting it, putting it away, and saving it for future generations and for the person and their family. Mm-hmm it's this living resource. And if people, if we don't constantly sort of hear from people about it, we don't have any sense of how to inform the growth of the project, for one thing. But also, uh, you know, that it's just a conversation. It makes it a conversation. Mm
0: -hmm. Well, and it's interesting because inviting that makes you think more about, okay, I might just be thinking, oh, I like this one. Why? You know, what is it I'm liking about it? And what am I responding to So it does make you take it a step deeper so Mm -hmm. thank you for doing that i think that's a good addition yeah um so are you personally a quilter
1: i'm a quilt maker i uh don't have a whole lot of time to quilt i'm a mom too so i have my kids are going to take up a lot of my non-working time but um i started out as a um, artist and painter and mixed media artist and then did a lot of work in fiber and i always loved quilts and so when this job opportunity came up, I was really drawn to it because I inherited a lot of my grandmother's sewing stuff. Mm-hmm. And I felt like I had my own personal archive. And so it really made sense to me what this organization did because I know that they're, I mean, it's like my little... Um, archive of her. So I have all her zippers and I keep them all in their original packaging. I don't use a whole lot of the supplies because they have such, even the smell of them, you know, with something like that, reminds you of that person. And um, so just as a, you know, as a way to enter into the quilt world, that was sort of my stepping stone. As weird as that seems, it was just sort of the idea that, I'm not really a quilt maker, but I totally get why people do this. And I could look at them all day because there's so much variety. And it's, uh, there's so much history in the, the, um, the presentation of it. It's not just the object. It's not just the fabric. It's just that, you know, especially with the handmade ones, that it's a, a remnant or a trace of that person's efforts. Mm-hmm. You know, it just, so um, my graduate degree was in uh, fine art and making stuff. And then, you know, (laughs) it's called making stuff. Um, But, you know, I've made a couple small quilts. I do one for our contest most every year. But uh, it's fulfilling, uh, really fulfilling to just be around it.
0: You know, and I think... Have you found that engaging in this process has affected your own attitude towards your own quilt making or your own
1: approach to it? Yeah, definitely, because I made my first quilt that was bigger than a potholder last year Mm -hmm. and I made it for my mom and I had been saving these this curtain fabric that she had used in her very first house that she'd saved up and got this curtain fabric that was so (laughs) sweet and I wonder why I saved that okay that was one question I had for myself but then I wondered you know what should I do with it and so I ended up making this first um, you know decent sized quilt with it and I did put a huge label on the back of it that had the story of it because I thought just as she was telling me about the fabric, I was asking her, tell me the story of the curtains again and how it worked. And then she would tell me, and then she would come back the next day and go, you know, I told you that wrong. I just remembered something else It <laughs> was wrong. And then so she would correct it and correct it mm-hmm. until we finally got the final story, luckily before the label was done. But, you know, that kind of thing where you just, I mean, you do forget bits and pieces. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I was kind of glad that uh, she really... <laughs> She really valued that uh, label just as much as the quilt, too, mm-hmm. I think, because it was, felt like, you know, it's just something special. When somebody remembers something you say, mm-hmm. there's no bigger compliment, I think, in mm-hmm. the world than someone remembering something about you. And there's a there's a QSOS interview. I wish I could tell you who said it, but the woman said, um, she said, after a quilt maker dies... They give away all her stuff, her, her pots and pans her all her possessions, but they'll keep the quilts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you know, you had that experience in your family so too, I mean it is really, the quilts will go on and the, you know, the family members will keep them and move them mm-hmm. forward, which is pretty, pretty profound. Right.
0: And the corollary to that is I wish that I still had the stories. behind mom's quilts right that's the piece that's missing now we have the quilt but it's not quite a living breathing object without knowing the story behind it
1: absolutely and i have a lot of um, i don't have many quilt makers in my family but i have a lot of textiles that i have no story of no clue who made it and that is a huge part of what ties all of our projects together and that is the you know uh, mission to have no more anonymous quilt makers. You know, to mm-hmm. to put a story with a quilt and how the best way that people can do that. And even on our board, we talked about this the last board meeting. I just said, how many of you uh, label your quilts? And there was this hilarious kind of you know turtle necking <laughs> of everybody, ashamed that they had not. Uh, you know, and Mark Lipinski is on our board, who's a you know. Mm-hmm magazine guy and personality, TV personality, and he said, you know, I don't label my quilts. mean, he said, well, I would be willing to help with this campaign of just label one. Mm-hmm. You know, just pick one quilt, try to find what the story of it is and label it. Because mm-hmm. it is, you know, it's a big part of it. Everybody agrees that it's important, but just technically getting to it, it's like putting the binding on or the sleeve on. For some mm-hmm. people, that's the... The worst tedium at the end, mm-hmm.
0: which you just answered. Then my next question, which would be for you, you know, what would be your wish for anybody listening to this episode? If you know, they may not get involved specifically yeah. with your project, but what would you tell them to do?
1: I think we. I tell anybody who I come in contact with who finds out what I do, and I, and they say, oh, that's cool. I have some quilts at home that my grandmother made, or I have some quilts. I said, do they have a label on them? No, they don't. You know, <laughs> so, you know, just. Do that one thing, put a label on it. Or if the person's still alive, take a picture of them with the quilt and mm-hmm. put that on the label. I and mean, there couldn't be anything better than, than that full package. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, and, and people watch the Antiques Roadshow and they sort of associate it with the value of the quilt. But it's sort of getting across the fact that... that the, fam- the, the inherent value of doing that is really goes beyond just the monetary, but it goes deep into a family's uh, value of that object to a family, the value of the object to the culture in general. So, yeah, that's the message. Lab- just one, label one, and then move on.
0: <laughs> it's interesting when you said, you know, take a picture of the person with the quilt. I'm thinking through all the pictures I've seen, you know, from people and in magazines are always who the, the quilt went to. Yeah. We take pictures of who got the quilt. Right. But not of the quilter with yes. the quilt maker with the quilt. That's
1: right. It's kind mm-hmm. of the essence of the way quilt makers are. They're always giving mm-hmm. and not, and, and it's that, you know, just a history of modesty and not um, talking about what you do mm-hmm. or making it, you know, calling certainly not calling it art. Right.
0: Yeah, I did an episode about that too. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all right. So if somebody listens to this episode and, and thinks, oh, I want to get involved.
1: Yeah. So, the best way to start is with the website, which is uh, Alliance for And you can get to the QSOS. There's a uh, link on the home page to the QSOS project. There's an online manual that you can download for free. You can uh, uh, email me from that uh, website. There's a contact button. And we offer, in, in addition to the manual, we'll do a phone. Call with anyone who's interested in getting a little more help, even just a pep talk. I mean, I'm, I can be a really good cheerleader for this project, and I think that now that I've done the interviews myself, I really can see it. You know, it was not that hard, and it's very forgiving. I mean, you can have blank space on the tape where nothing is happening because <laughs> there's always a delete key. <laughs> yeah, because there's always a, del- and even then, it's just life. That's the mm-hmm. way it rolls. You know, when you have a conversation. But so that's, um, and not only uh, is there room and need for interviewers, but there's also a need for transcribers. And uh, transcribing is, as we said before, a <laughs> special skill with lots of patients. And, and you know, it's, it's not something that's above anyone's head, but it does take some, um, some practice. So And it's a grassroots project, so we don't pay to, and we don't transcribe interviews ourselves unless we've gotten a grant to uh, do a specific project. So that that's a need we always have. And there's plenty of ways people can get involved. But uh, we hope to get the message out there that this is not a project for uh, quilt stars. We want to interview, we want to have you interview folks in your community that have meant something to you or your guild or your community. Maybe somebody in your guild's made, you know, a thousand quilts for charity they would have some seriously interesting stories to tell. What are they thinking about when they're making a 1,000 quilts for someone that they don't even know? Mm-hmm. You know, there's just a lot of uh, content there that would be really interesting. Mm-hmm. And so all the information is on the website, but we also uh, are always willing to do, um, you know, phone training, but also as we can, um, as we're able, we even do, you know, on-site training with groups. If it's somewhere near... Uh, where a board member lives or a current interviewer lives. we try to coordinate that.
0: Is there anything else about the Alliance for American Quilts you want people to know about?
1: Uh, I would just say that go to the website and just browse, cruise and use, as I say. <laughs> you know, one of our other projects is with our partners at Michigan State University. It's called the Quilt Index. Uh, the Quilt Index is a database of over 50,000 images of quilts that are for inspiration, for study, for oh it's just an incredible resource. We also have a longer video a longer oral history project called Quilt Treasures, which is a video documentary project of uh, quilt makers or quilt historians it doesn't even have to be a maker who made significant moved the quilt revival uh, who uh, were you know moved the um, Study and appreciation and celebration of quilts forward in the between 1976 and 2000. People like Yvonne Porcella, uh, Cuesta Benberry, um, Jean Ray Laurie. There are about 13 quilt treasures portraits. So there's a lot there to be had, but you know, it all has that common theme of documenting, preserving, and sharing the history of not only quilts but, the, but quilt makers. So I think start there, and then you know we we have a more and more events across the country like this. We hope to be back next year at festival doing interviews with uh, Texas quilt makers mainly because that'll be the focus of next year's show. But
0: yeah. correct me if I'm wrong, but the Quilt Index I think I actually subscribe to that and get the pictures, the daily yeah. picture uh-huh. on my yeah Amanda
1: uh, Amanda. Um, Sikarski is uh, one of the team members who does uh, Facebook uh, page Quilt of the Day, and mm-hmm. she does a blog, and she does some really fun like t- Trivia Tuesday, where you can mm-hmm. she'll ask a question about a quilt, that what you know, or something about the Quilt Index, and and we just introduce, we're just getting ready to introduce. I don't have it with me, but a Quilt Index app for mm-hmm. iPhone. Oh, cool. Yeah, so it's like a <laughs> it's Quilt cool. of the Day mm-hmm. uh, quilt app.
0: Mm-hmm. So you can get your eye
1: candy. <laughs> yeah, you can get your fix, and you can just flip through like fifty thousand images um, they're, they're while you incredible. should be working. Yeah, and
0: mine are in my um, Google Reader. I get them as yeah. a feed that way, and and they are just beautiful. Yeah. Just beautiful. Well, thank you so much yeah. for taking time out of your schedule, and we we had problems connecting only because the booth kept being crowded. So <laughs> it's <laughs> Which a great is a exhibit. Good problem, Great exhibit. Them. So thank you so much. I appreciate yeah. your time. Thank you. Thanks again, Amy. I really did thoroughly enjoy our conversation and I hope to be able to talk to you again soon. Remember everybody, you can find out more about the Alliance for American Quilts and the Save Our Stories project, as well as a few other things they've got going on. They're pretty busy people over there. And you can also check out the interviews that they've been doing at www.allianceforamericanquilts.org. And I will put that link on the show notes to this episode. I have a couple of announcements to make. First of all, um, I've never said this before, and I probably should have uh, said it early on, but when you leave comments on the show notes at Podbean, don't panic when they don't appear immediately. I actually have to approve them. I've got them set up so that I have to moderate comments, not because I don't trust you, but because I don't trust spam. So nothing appears until I click a little button that says approve. I do try to get to them as quickly as I can, but sometimes there may be a few hours of lag time here and there. So never fear, they will show up. I also um, felt the need to explain my comments about knitting. Um, If you've listened to this podcast for any length of time, you know that um, I have periodically made snarky remarks about knitting and you need to know that I tease but only because I know that if I ever picked up knitting needles I'd end up with an entire room full of yarn. Um, I know myself too well and I am in fact my mother's daughter. My mom did knit as well as quilt and um, I swear she had like a hundred different pairs of sewing needles <laughs> or knitting needles so that's not some place I want to go. Maybe someday. Um, But just know I am teasing only because I'm afraid of it. Uh, I also wanted to remind you about the holiday challenge. You'll find information about it on the website. And I've already gotten some photos from some folks in addition to Lynn, finally, other people keeping up. So uh, do pay attention to the holiday challenge. Remember, the deadline is December 15th. And no, I'm not asking you to start any new projects. I'm motivating you to get your gift list done. I did also want to let you know, since I've been doing a lot on quilt documentation lately, when I was in Houston, um, there was a vendor booth demonstrating a software that I hadn't seen before, and I have checked it out on the web. I haven't bought it. I might. I haven't decided, but it's called Quilt Album, and you can find information about it at www.quiltalbum.com. I believe it said it was $29.95. It's a way for you to Organize your quilt documentation software. Uh, You can put photos of your quilt, and then there's basically a form that you fill out with all sorts of stuff. And obviously, you don't have to answer all the questions if you don't want to. And then there's sort of a general notes section where you could give the background story to the quilt or whatever. You can then print album pages so that you could create sort of your own uh, scrapbook with the information you've put in Quilt Album. You can also print quilt labels directly from it, and also, interestingly enough, greeting cards and business cards. So it looked really interesting to me. Like I said, I haven't fully committed yet, but I did want to pass along the information um, in case any of you like me tend to be computer oriented and say anything I can do on the computer has got to be better than doing it by hand, which is not entirely true. But my handwriting has gotten really, really bad since I've spent so much time on the computer. Um, in any case, moving on, uh, I did also want to say I had one more quilting. Uh, Quilters Like the Rest of Us interview from my guild members um, that I was going to use. But when I went to listen to it a couple of weeks ago to include it in one of the episodes, I realized it really did not record well. There was a lot of wind going on, and it just made it too difficult to hear the conversation. So I'm just not going to be able to use that one. Um, I'm going to be apologizing to that particular member of my guild, and I will be re-interviewing her sometime later this year, and so I'll I'll share it with you then. Um, But those of you who are members of the guild and happen to know who I had interviewed, that's why that last one did not get used. It wasn't because somehow I've got something against her. It's because the wind was not cooperating. Okay, before I went to Houston, I'd mentioned that I was going to start sharing some comments that were left in a message thread that I started several months ago now in the Quilting for the Rest of Us subgroup in Big Tent. I had asked, what was the most meaningful quilty gift that you've ever given? Or something along those lines. Um, However, I was so anxious to talk about Houston when I got back, I neglected to share any of those comments. So I'm going to be picking it up again now. This week's comment is from Patched Pastor. She said, I don't think I've ever given a gift as meaningful as some of the ones I've been given. The most recent was a box of arcs for a double wedding ring quilt made by the giver's grandmother who died in 1932. The pieces are incredibly tiny, maybe half inch on the narrow side. I also have a finished quilt that was given to me by a 90 year old woman when she moved to assisted living. Her mother had made it for her and her husband when she married, either in the late 30s or early 40s. I had admired it and offered to buy it if no one in the family wanted it. I nearly fell over when she just out and gave it to me because, quote, I know you will love it and take care of it. So, Patch Pastor, what I want to know is what are you going to do with those arcs? And we would absolutely love to see pictures of both quilts. So everybody remember there is a Flickr group for quilting for the rest of us, and it makes it really easy for you to share pictures. And we love to see pictures. Um, I was out of town earlier this week, and um, that involved a 12-hour round-trip drive all the way home in the pouring rain. It was really tiring, but it did give me the opportunity to catch up on most of my Quilty podcasts. Let's see, who all was in my car with me there was... Sandy and Pat and Brylin and Darla, Francis, Pam, Jean, Allison, and Kelly. I think that was it. It was pretty crowded. It kept getting elbows in my ear and I won't name any names, but somebody kept me needing to make bathroom breaks. But I have to say, what more fun road trip can you have than a bunch of quilt aficionados talking about quilting for 12 hours straight? Well, all right, that being said, I think Peter Siegel, probably uh, Segal, however you pronounce his name, climbed into the car at one point to do a little bit of wait, wait, don't tell me. I think I even picked up Ira Glass at one rest stop for some This American Life for a little bit. <laughs> I don't know. My car was pretty crowded. Um, unfortunately, I didn't even have enough room for the stuff you should know being or any of my other podcasts of interest. Um, but I was thrilled to finally get caught up on um, my Quilty Ones. I just wasn't able to catch up on some of the longer ones. But Darla's uh, Scientific Quilter episode on Velocity, I have to say um, that she actually runs her sewing machine during that episode. and I, I found myself, as soon as I heard that sewing machine, I just sort of relaxed. It was sort of like a audio comfort food or something. And I, all I could think of, as soon as I realized what I was experiencing while I was hearing that noise, um, I realized that. It was sort of hearkening me back to my childhood and hearing my mom on her sewing machine in the basement, you know, at, at kind of all hours <laughs> of the day. Um, so apparently, you know, maybe I should get rid of my white noise machine for sleeping and just uh, run a sewing machine <laughs> next to my bed or something. Anyway, it was it was just really interesting that here I am driving along in the rain and all of a sudden I hear a sewing machine I'm like, that ah. <laughs> was kind of funny. Um, I also have to give a shout out to Lynn. She did an episode on quilt labels. And she had a fantastic idea that I knew would solve my problem of never remembering to put the dang label on before I do the dang quilting. Um, she said, I don't think, she, I think she gave credit to somebody else for this idea, but she had said that um, you take a square or a rectangle and you fold it in half, and then you actually sew it into the binding on a corner. Um, so, probably if you had a square, you know, you fold it in half so it's more of a triangle, and then you sew the, the right what is that, the the right angle part (laughs) of the triangle? I'm sorry, I'm forgetting my geometry terms. You sew that into the corner of the um, binding, and then you can hand sew down the other side if you want to. And then you can just put your label information on that corner part that's showing, and that's just a really cool idea. And since I've got a wall hanging um, halfway quilted now that i Of course, forgot to put the label on before I started quilting. Um, I'm going to try that out and I'll let you know. It was a great idea. So thank you very much, Brylin, for that. Time for a little bit of Sandy update because I actually have something to update this week. Yay! Um, My husband was out of town and I can always actually manage to get a little more sewing done when he's gone. I'm missing him terribly the whole time, but I console myself with my sewing machine. And I finally got some major progress done on my triple rail on point UFO. Uh, This is a wall hanging that I started, I pieced the entire top at a quilt retreat that I was on I keep thinking it was only like a year or so ago, but it was actually probably three years because it was the spring retreat the year before my mother passed away. And I didn't get it done in that year. And then, as I've said in other episodes, since when my mother passed away, I then spent a little over a year finishing up a lot of her UFOs to be able to distribute to family members. And so now I'm just now getting back to my own UFOs. So this one has been a long time coming. All I had to do was uh, machine quilt it and it took me a little while to decide what I was going to do on the machine quilting and I finally decided to keep it simple. So I'm just doing a stitch in the ditch around the triple rail blocks and then um, it's got a narrow inner inner border. So I've done a stitch in the ditch around the narrow inner border and it's really too narrow to do much quilting on the border itself. So that's kind of staying plain. But then the outer border, um, I have one of those borders on a roll. I've used that before. It worked okay for me last time. Now that I've done it once, though, I think I'll be able to do it better this time. And I inherited this from mom, so I figured this would be a good way to use it. It's a um, double cable, I believe. So I'm hoping this weekend to get the borders done. And I may actually be able to get it bound and hanging on my wall before Thanksgiving day. And since we're hosting Thanksgiving at our house with my in-law family, it would be nice to have that hanging up. So, you know, we all like to show off a little bit on our new stuff. Actually, we just like to show off anything we've actually gotten done. Isn't that right? (laughs) So in any case, um, I've spent a lot of time on that this week. I did also um, do a little bit Towards the end of last week, I think I may have already mentioned this, that I had gotten an, a felted wool applique project all cut up and, and basted down and ready to go. So all I have to do is the uh, stitching on it. And I had brought it with me when I went out of town earlier this week. And then I just ended up not really having the time to do it. I didn't get back to my hotel room until you know, 7.30 or 8 o'clock. And then I had some work to do uh, to get done that night because I wasn't going to have access to email the next day. And so all that being said, I didn't end up getting any of the stitching done Um on that last weekend. But my husband comes home tonight late. So uh, I'm going to use that as my sitting in front of the TV and being sociable with the family project. uh, And then hopefully be able to snag some time this weekend to finish up the other. Unfortunately, I've got sort of a busy weekend, but I think I should still be able to find some sewing time in there somewhere. So that's the Sandy update on my sewing projects. And I've been posting pictures, sort of, of the wall hanging in progress on my blog. Um, I've been a bit of a tease with that. I'm not really giving up the whole project until it's all done. So uh, bear with me, but you'll be seeing little bits and pieces here and there until it's done. Now, we've got some comments to share, so hang on just a minute. I'm going to pull those up so I can glance at them. Okay, first one is from Maureen, who left a comment on episode 28 in which we went to Houston, part 2. In one of your Houston episodes, you talked about learning the meaning of waga from an Australian quilter. You might be interested in Kathy Miller's CDs. Kathy is a quilter musician from Canada and has recently released her fifth quilt-related CD, A Quilter's World which has a song called I Need Another Waga." Many of her songs are based on historical events. Others are just plain fun. Each CD has a wonderful mix of music that will make you laugh, think, or cry. Check her out at www.singingquilter.com or www.singingquilter.wordpress.com. And Maureen also said I should try to do an interview with her sometime. And I did check out the website and realized um, Kathy is the one who did the song uh, that... I had posted on my blog a while ago, I think it's called You Can Quilt That Out, which is a very funny song, It's sort of a Long armor's Lament <laughs> sort of thing. So definitely check out Kathy Miller's stuff. She's pretty entertaining. I got a comment from Noni on episode 29 in which we meet Baba Blankets, and she very graciously forgave me for mispronouncing her name, and she said that her grandson is currently mispronouncing her name on purpose. Um And she also commiserated with me over not having enough time to do crafts and all the housework that seems to get in the way of that. Uh, But she also pointed out, in which I had referenced uh, something about machine quilting, my quilt top. She uh, hopes I will revisit the topic. I did do an episode about machine quilting, or I, I talked about it in an episode, I think. I don't think I devoted an entire episode to it, uh, but she wants me to revisit the topic and mention that there's a conversation going on over in Big Tent in the Off-Kilter Quilt subgroup. Um, because I know Frances has done a couple of episodes now about her adventures in machine quilting uh, that were really good to listen to as well. So definitely join the Big Tent group if you haven't already, join the Off-Kilter Quilt group if you haven't already, um, and listen to, um, I'm sorry, and weigh in on the topic of machine quilting, because there's a lot of people in the group who are just starting out in machine quilting and would um, love to have some advice, or you can also ask your questions as well. Misty Day left a comment on episode 26, in which we get ancestral. She said, Sandy, I thought I'd share a story of two quilts I have. As teenagers, my sister and I befriended an elderly woman. She had been child-free, her words, and her husband had died years before. She became a surrogate grandmother to us. She taught my sister to crochet. She told us long family stories and inspired us with her faith. She taught me to hand quilt, although I have to I have to admit to secretly hating to do it. But she taught me to be patient, and I so wanted to please her that I just kept doing the hand quilting with her. Upon her death, she had two family quilts that she had passed on to distant great nieces. She had given my sister and I several other quilts. They expressed dismay at the tattered bits of fabric they got. I explained that they were made from the clothing and fabrics of our dear friend and her siblings. She and her sisters and brothers, quite a gender shock of the time, had hand-stitched these pieces together. The little girls and boys in the pattern represented her twelve siblings. After scoffing that they did not get any money, she had been well off, they asked if we wanted the quilts. So I became the keeper of these two treasures for their family. They're carefully wrapped in a cedar closet with a paper listing all I know of them. Maybe someday her family will want them back. But until then, I am honored to have them and love to look at them and remember the dear woman whom I was honored to know. Thank you, Misty Day, for sharing that story. It's, it is true and sad that some people just don't know what they've got when they've got a quilt from an ancestor. So thank you so much for being the keeper of that treasure. Okay, and I'd also like to send out thanks to Colleen and Lynn and Jane and Mama P. And by the way, Mama P, yes, it is a Janome 6600. And Jennifer, who has joined in the holiday challenge. And to everybody else who has left comments and had conversation in the Big Tent uh, subgroup the Quilting for the Rest of Us subgroup to the QuiltCast supergroup in Big Tent, as well as in Flickr and on my blog and on the podcast and those who have tweeted me. So thank you so much. I always enjoy the conversation and keep it going. And do remember, if you want to be in touch, all you have to do is go to www.quiltingfortherestofus.com. You'll find links to everything else there. You will find information about the holiday challenge, and you will find my email address, my Twitter account, my Quilty blog, uh, a link to sign up for the Big Tent Quilt Cast Supergroup. And once you join that, then you join the um, Quilting for the Rest of Us subgroup, I think I've got a link link to the Flickr group up there, I believe. And you can subscribe to my monthly free newsletter, which, by the way, I finally got out this week. Yay for me! And that's it for this episode. Um, I won't be recording again until after Thanksgiving. So to all of those of you who are um, U.S.-based and or U.S. living elsewhere and celebrating Thanksgiving next week, happy Thanksgiving to you. Um, To everybody else, we'll send you, you know, cheerful turkey thoughts and all that kind of good stuff. And uh, I've got a great episode lined up for you again next time. I will be posting it sometime after Thanksgiving. And I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful week. And until next time, go get your quilty on. Quilting for the rest of us is dedicated to Shirley. Love you, Mom.